All right, all right. Welcome everyone to a financial advisor's guide or roadmap to building generational wealth. I'm Brandon Jones. I'm hosting this conversation with Mr. Jonathan Kennedy and Mr. Jonathan Hodge. Thank you for joining us today to, uh, to, to hit us with some generational wealth knowledge. This is what Gravy is all about. So for those of uh, uh, in the audience who are uninitiated, um, Gravy is basically all about unpacking generational wealth. We deliver community, we deliver insights via a bi-weekly newsletter that we share, and we ever so often offer uh, investment opportunities to the community as well. Um, I wanna shout out Ms. Leslie Espy, who is in the audience right now for helping to put this event together. Um, and I wanna uh, say thank you to the, to the guests. We're gonna have a really exciting conversation. So without further ado, Let's get started. So what I'm going to start off doing is introducing these two phenomenal gentlemen. And I want to shout these gentlemen out because uh, not only are they, you know, um, really good at what they do as financial advisors, but they really care about this idea of building generational wealth within the community. They have both contributed to uh, gravy newsletters in the past, shared insights, been very generous with their time. Uh, and I really applaud them for um, not just, you know, kind of being about generating wealth, but really having, you know, a cause and a purpose behind what they do. So I think they're the perfect gentlemen to, to invite to this conversation that, that we're having today. So first, I want to um, introduce Mr. Jonathan Kennedy. He's a financial advisor at Northwestern Mutual. Um, he is based out of St. Louis, uh, and he is a USC alum. Um, I want to give real quick um, uh, before we we jump into the into the questions, give uh, Jonathan Kennedy just a quick overview of um, his story and why he chose uh, to be a financial advisor as a career. So over to you, Kennedy. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, graduated high school, uh, went to USC at Los Angeles. Uh, studied business with a concentration in real estate finance and a minor in theater. Um, during, uh, the last two years of college, I interned with Northwestern. Um, and then I graduated in 2008 and the market crashed, the real estate market crashed. Uh, I wasn't really confident about going into real estate finance or personal finance at that point and, uh, decided to go do some other endeavors. Um, fast forward eight years after that, met my now wife. Um, started to get a little bit more serious, felt like I left some stuff on the table. And over that period of time, watched my family's uh, confidence grow with the company that I had interned with over 15 years and uh, decided that I'd reach back out to some mentors um, because I realized the impact that I could make and that I enjoyed connecting with individuals and uh, uh, that I was a problem solver. Um, so about six years ago, uh, started my full-time practice, and then um, more recently relocated back to St. Louis to partner with another advisor in my firm. Love it, love it. Thank you for that for that intro. Haj, I'm coming over to you. Uh, I'll start off with the uh, the LinkedIn stats. <clears throat> so, uh, Mr. Jonathan Hodge graduated with the uh, BS in economics from Boston University. Um, he has been in the game for over 15 years, helping clients manage their capital. Today, he serves as a senior vice president of investments and a senior portfolio manager for UBS, one of the biggest wealth managers in the world. Uh, Jonathan Hodge, over to you. Why did you get in the game? Why did I get in the game? Uh, young and naive and didn't know what I wanted to do after college and just kind of fell into it. But from that, it kind of combined, it combined both things that I love, which are people um, and analysts and, anal and being analytical. So for me, it was really uh, being able to take sort of what the markets present and the analytical perspective that you need in order to navigate within the market um, and, 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 and bring it to the clients that we serve. So um, that's kind of why I stayed in the game. I, I, I just kind of fell into it initially. Um, and then as I grew up in the business, I need to update LinkedIn because now it's been since 98. So what is that, 20 three years or 24 years now. Um, it's been, you know, now it's, it's, it's now about fulfilling the passion and purpose behind it. So I'm primarily focused on bringing our services to the black community um, and, uh, and solving for what I see is the great opportunity 
which is uh, just, you know, filling that gap. Um, tired of hearing about the negative statistics within the community. So uh, how can we all work together to, uh, to, to, to bring those statistics to the level that they should and what I call parity of wealth for the black community. And so that's what I'm solving for. Love it, love it. While we're on it, um, <clears throat> I'm gonna throw it back right back to you, Hodge. Uh, can you define in your own terms, what is generational wealth? Yeah, I mean, I've defined wealth um, a little bit differently. You know, so many people define wealth as a number or material things or things that we need to achieve. Um, for me, wealth is really three things, which is, um, and, and really what wealth provides us. One is um, it, it provides us uh, acts, you know, like there's no barriers to entry to wealth, right? And so when you have a lot of wealth, the barriers to entry to, to do whatever it is that you wanna do, go into a certain industry and business, get your kids into college, get into the country club, whatever, whatever those things are, the more wealth you have, the more, the less barriers of entry there is. And so, so that's one definition of wealth. The second is, um, really the network, right? When, when you have tremendous wealth, you have a, a very powerful network, your neighbors, people you work with, so on and so forth. So if you need to move and, and, and do things within, you know, business or with your family, your kids, whatever, your, your network is, is, is very strong and you always know uh, you have a powerful network to be able to get things done. And third really is scalability. And that's where the generational wealth aspect of it all uh, comes from. So when you talk about wealth and, and when you talk about it from being scalable, right, wealth begets wealth. Look at what happened over the last, um, you know, 24 months within the pandemic, the wealthy has gotten ridiculously wealthier. Um, and so there's scalability to wealth. The larger your business, the easier your business becomes to grow, right? Same thing with wealth. Um, as well as like that goes across now generations. And so uh, that's kind of how I look at, at, at wealth and, and, the, and the generational aspect of it is really the scalability aspect within wealth. Love it. Kennedy, would we'll, we'll love to, to hear your, your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I agree uh, with a lot of things that uh, Hodge said. And um, the only thing that I might add to it is that this generational wealth has a legacy component to it. And uh, the legacy is with generational wealth is something that you can leverage for many different generations, right? Um, everyone leaves a legacy, whether they plan for one or not. But if it's a legacy that carries purpose and potential into the next generation, that's something that your future um, uh, family members are going to be able to continue to profit off of and, and carry on and continue to grow. Um, uh, there's also a, a, a slight little study there that it, it takes three generations to build a generational wealth, uh, on average, and it takes one to eliminate it. So it's, it's also something where you have to pass knowledge and understanding, um, uh, of what has been built so that it's not lost. Got it. Got it. And on that note, I'm going to follow back up with you, Kenny, on this one. With your view of what generational wealth is, how do you bring that as a philosophy? What's your philosophy when you're imparting that, you know, to your clients? For example, they might have built the, the, the generational wealth, they're three generations in, you know, some of that is, look, you know, look at these stats, right? You know, and how do you bring your, you know, your own philosophy? What is your philosophy that you engage your clients with? Um, so the philosophy is mainly to start with understanding what can eliminate it, <laughs> right? I think covering your risks and understanding how we can um, leverage the opportunities from uh, tax sheltering things because the government seems to be your silent partner in anything you do, all right? The IRS is gonna wanna dip its hands in your pockets whenever you feel like you're starting to make money. Um, and some of those lessons aren't conveyed to future generations or people are unaware of how that's going to impact them at different times throughout their life. Uh, so we want to make sure that we start the conversation from educational standpoint so that they understand what it is that they actually have or what they're building and that we can still put a plan in place to be more efficient with how we're utilizing or leveraging those assets. Uh, so I, I always tell my clients, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna start with the boring stuff first. Um, and, and plan with mitigating as much risk as possible. And then we start to get aggressive knowing that there aren't going to be any surprises along the way. 
Got it. Hodge, what's your philosophy for helping your clients build generational wealth? Uh, generally, it's one thing really is communication. Um, you know, what I've found doing this for so long is you find just families uh, just lack communication across generations. And it's the old adage of like, I, you know, here I am, look at me, I work so hard to get to what I have and I don't want my kids to know how much we have. And then that gets passed on and it gets chopped up and you know, the stories. Right. And so my, my question is, it's always the best. It's like, why not? And just stop and just watch them not have an answer to the why not. And so I think it's, it's really for me and, and, and just personally with my own family where, where we've lacked and uh, some of the things that we have not been able to achieve as a family, it really comes down to communication. So as I, as I say, mostly I'm like more of a financial therapist than I am an advisor most of the days. And so, you know, I work on the communication with families and we bring a lot of services, you know. Um, to to these families to help start the process of communicating with all the interested parties, whether that be their centers of influence, attorneys, and you know CPAs and the like, um, as well as you know family members. Um, we don't necessarily have to use the number as far as how much wealth they have, as far as the dollar amount, but it's just the communication. What does it mean? Why do I want to leave these things and these various trusts and so on and so forth? So, so it just starts with communication for us. I love that. I love that. All right, switching gears a little bit. I think, you know, a lot of folks here have, if they don't have a financial advisor already, they're saying, why do I need a financial advisor? You know, I'm, I'm an MBA. I can, you know, hop in spreadsheets. I'm sophisticated. I'm a professional. Um, and, you know, one of the things I see when I go to LinkedIn is a lot of letters next to both of your gentlemen's names, right? These are uh, certifications, licenses, et cetera. Can you help us understand what is the value of those credentials? How do those credentials um, position you to be in a better position to, you know, basically help folks build wealth? Um, how should folks be thinking about those credentials when considering a financial advisor, uh, et cetera, et cetera? I'll go to you first, Kennedy. Yeah, um, I think it's really important that your advisor either has credentials or is seeking credentials, um, it, you know, the importance is that your advisor is constantly trying to learn and grow themselves along with you. Um, this is a shifting landscape. You know, many things can change um, from year to year that can impact how your finances are going to work. Right now, the big conversation is interest rates, right? Uh, interest rates, taxes, all of these things are going to impact your plan and needs to make, you will need to make adjustments in order to uh, be positioned properly. And most MBAs, attorneys, doctors, successful people don't have the time to pay attention to these metrics and make the proper moves with their planning um, because they, they have a degree and a job that is requiring the majority of their time. So it's usually in your best interest to use an advisor if you respect your own time. If you understand the leverage of having someone else uh, work on your behalf for whatever the fee might be, because you know that you're getting more value out of it long term. I like the way you put that, you know, it's, it's leveraging your time. Hodge, um, what's your what's your perspective on that? And I'll take it the next step further as well, which is when someone's considering, you know, engaging with a financial advisor. What are the primary things they should be looking for, in, including the fee structure, et cetera, et cetera? So a tie-in for qualifications, but also the general nature of how the engagement is structured. What, what would you advise? I mean, I think it, for me, it comes down to relationship. Um, and my value is in the relationship that I have with my clients, right? It's not, you know, picking one stock over the next. It, you know, that, that is becoming commoditized in this in this market in this world that we live in now so you know if you're going to work with an advisor make sure you have a relationship with them make sure you know i know my family i i i, I you know i think of my clients as family and friends so you know that's how i look at it is really building gener you know generational relationships we're building our my our team around us for generations to come we have junior people and we're always bringing up new people so on and so forth 
so with the expectation that this lasts for generations. I've worked with three generations of families now, right, doing this 20 plus years. So, so to me, it's, it's really about just wanting to create a relationship with someone that's going to ride with you throughout your various, you know, sort of life cycles, as well as making sure they just show up with integrity. You know, do they do what they say they're going to do? And if they don't, that's your answer. Um, it's not really about just about the investing. I spend 95% of my day talking to clients about everything else, but their stock portfolios or bond portfolios, or whatever. Got it. Um, I, I love that answer. I think it's, uh, it, it's kind of bringing this sense of this person is not a transactional based person. It's more of a really understanding who you are, which comes through the relationship that you build. And over time, I imagine it grows. Um, coming back around and can I throw this to you? Um, what are the different types of structures that financial advisors use? How are they incentivized? And from the perspective of a prospect who's exploring this idea of engaging with a financial advisor, what would you say is, is probably the most aligned structure? Yeah. So um, I, I did a write-up for the for gravy kind of going into more detail on this. And so I, I tell anyone to, to look for that article, but uh, I, I think the misconception that a lot of people have, and, and a lot of that is because it, it's, it's more entertaining for, to, to make advisors the villain out there. Uh, but, you know, if we are working with clients in wide ranges of situations, there's going to be a certain fit for the place that you may be in today. And working with an advisor is going to have um, specific, uh, it, it, well, working with that advisor, they're going to look for the best way that they can help you and have it make sense um, for them to continue to help you with all the other ancillary things that they're doing. And so there could be a way where they get compensated from a commission. And as long as they're communicating how the product that they're trying to, to uh, assist, you, assist you in executing works or the mutual fund that they're putting you into, how that works and why it applies to their situation, what your other alternative options are, why you might consider doing it outside and not working with the advisor. I, 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 preed, uh, um, I mean, I preach transparency because that is a big key and understanding why your advisor is making those, those recommendations. Um, our biggest clients, we work on an advisory fee that's associated to the, to the amount of assets that are held at the firm, but not everybody is going to be able to have enough assets to be in that position. So, but they still want all the advice that we could provide them. So it's like, I can't, I can't split it down the middle and, and give you everything that you want and, and then be a robo-advisor. The robo-advisor is not going to tell you how to maximize your taxation on the distribution of the account that you're working through. They're not going to tell you, uh, hey, by the way, you just bought a home. You need to get some term life insurance just to protect your family in case that happens. They're, hey, you, you need to get uh, a loan for uh, your car, you don't do it through the dealership here, talk to this person or this person or this person, and they can get you a better rate on that loan. The, the relationships that we're putting you in place are part of the ancillary benefits of working with an advisor. And I, I can't, I can't charge, charge you a robo advisor fee for that. So, uh, but I tell you upfront, you know, if that's what you want, go do that. But if it's not, that's what we're here for. Got it. No, I appreciate that. I got one little follow-up question and then I'll, I'll turn it over to Hodge as well. You mentioned a robo-advisor, you know, piece. Um, that market has grown tremendously, right? And it has a lot of folks asking themselves, what is the incremental value that a, you know, a, a person is going to provide over the robo-advisor? Um, yeah. And I remember you uh, in a newsletter, you actually pointed to a study that actually went and quantified what the incremental value in terms of returns uh, are with en engaging a, a financial advisor. Would you mind sharing that for the folks that are looking for some quantitative assessment around yeah. value? Yeah. So um, there's a Vanguard study and it's uh, the, the alpha, the advisor's alpha. Uh, you can search it, just Google it. You'll be able to find it. And there was a study that was done and it's more so about the behavioral reactions that an inv investor has with regards to the market. So there's a lot of volatility going on right now when you see your account go down, 
fundamentally, you may have heard, you know, buy the dips or buy low, sell high. Uh, but when you see a lot of red in your portfolio, you might be tempted to pull your money out and try to time the bottom and then put it back in. Uh, but if you miss the 10 best trading days throughout the year, you're going to be significantly behind the market in terms of being able to, to track for it. And so the advisor is going to be able to keep you invested and manage your behaviors and the temptations of, of, of making mistakes with your investment account. Um, uh, simply just when and how and, and, and what you're putting your money into. Um, so that I think the, the advisor is alpha with something like 3% over the lifetime of the account which is a considerable amount of, of lost gains. If it's every year, you're losing 3%. Um, now, the, um, the other thing about the robo-advisor that I, I was gonna comment on is that they're, they're, it doesn't help you with any behavioral, behavioral uh, responses. It's not gonna tell you not to sell out. You, you kind of tell it to sell out and it sells out. Uh, you know, as Hodge mentioned, the relationship's a big part of how this this works between the advisor and the client. And that's that's us holding you accountable. I like that. So Hodge, um, I'm combining what I heard in terms of what you felt kind of the most important piece of generational wealth was. I think for Kennedy, he mentioned covering your basis, getting your foundation, protecting your downside and building upon, you know, from there. You mentioned something similar, but you also really focused on the relationship and the communication aspects of it. A lot of folks, particularly folks in the, in the gravy audience are highly educated MBA type uh, folks, um, but they also come with those loans, right? So when you look at their overall net worth, you know, you might even be looking at neg you know, negativity for that first you know, few years coming out. If somebody's really eager to engage, you know, how would you advise them, Hodge, on, around when is the right time to engage a, a financial advisor? Keeping in mind, they want to be proactive, but also keeping in mind that you need a certain level of assets to work with, you know, to add value. You know, how would you how would you um, respond to folks who are acquiring? I mean, I'm probably the wrong person to say this because I'll talk to everyone because so, I'm just that guy, especially when it comes from the community. But, um, you know, I, I, I would have to say, like, you know, there is no time better than the present. That, that's just how I live, um, regardless of whether or not you end up doing business um, at UBS because it may not make sense from an asset level perspective or what have you, but um, it's just really about, you know, doing it now, find someone within your community, um, someone that you can trust or someone you may know or get a referral or Kennedy, myself, whomever. But um, I think it really just comes down to just, just start now and, and, and just it can be a 15, 20 minute, half an hour call and just make sure that you're prioritizing things and, and getting and getting your yourself right. Because not only is it about the investments, but it's also the other side of the balance sheet, which is the liability side. So you had mentioned student loans and things of that nature, right? So, you know, I think it's, it's, it's really, there is, no, there is no time better than the present to engage somebody if you have these questions. If you're good, you're good. But if you have these questions, there's no time better than the present. I, I keep running into that 50 and 60 year old with, you know, several IRAs everywhere and all these other things that they thought they were going to, you know, do and they never got to it. And now they're like ready to retire. And it's like, okay, now is the time. And I'm like, no, nah, it should have been, you know, 30 years ago. So yeah, I think, I think there is no real specific date and line in the sand. I think uh, if not now, when that's how I live my life. Got it. I like that. And a follow-up question to that is, can you just walk us through, you know, you're a big relationship guy. What type of interaction should people be expecting when it comes to their, their relationship with their financial advisor, you know, from a cadenced meeting type situation to like, when do you get that ad hoc call? Like what, what is the general baseline expectation that people should have? Deposit the, deposit the money and never hear from your advisor at it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, we have a very defined service model. Um, and so, you know, we, we typically will say um, quarterly, um, generally the quarterly calls are not necessarily just about the portfolios and what we're doing and where we see the opportunities within the capital markets, but it's really about what's going on with your life. 
um, what things have, you know, what, what has changed, what hasn't changed, is everything status quo, so on and so forth. So, so we pretty much have a very defined uh, service model. Um, it also comes up to the client. Some people are like, yo, I just don't want to work with you, you know, once a year or hear from you or, you know, do a re thorough review once a year. Um, and then that stuff comes up or I'll just, I just, Sometimes I'll just be driving. I'll be like, "Oh, I need to speak to so and so," and I'll just give them a call. Um, but but generally, we, it's very defined. We have a very defined service model. That way, we can manage expectations, right? And I, I've said no to business that you know needs to talk to me five times a week. I, I can't deal. I can't deal with that. So you know, I, it's really about setting expectations, defined expectations, and then making sure that we show up on those expectations each and every time. We can't control the markets, but we can certainly control expectations. Got it. Um, Kenny, anything you want to add on to that? Yeah, no, that, that's the only way that you can really manage a, a client clientele is, is making sure that, it, and you start this at the beginning of the relationship. You, you, I typically ask, how often would you like to meet with, with us? Um, you know, some people don't want to be bored out or constantly hit up by their advisor because they think, you know, I don't want to look at my accounts or I don't need to know about it. Like, I, I'm sure you're doing a good job. Some people want a quarterly touch touch base, um, and some people have things that happen in their life that they, hey, can we sit down this month? I know we just talked last month, but you know uh, our, our budget's changing, and I, I just want to make sure that everything's going to be okay. Um, so I always make make sure they understand I'm available if they need me, but I'm going to try and meet with you at least twice a year. Um, and then if we want to meet more often than that, by all means, I love it. And then of course would love to have social events with clients whenever you can. So any like client appreciation events, which have been seldom in the pandemic. So that's been fun. Um, <laughs> but, uh, those things are always fun too, because you get to see your clients interact and, and they know that you actually uh, work with other fun people too. Got it. Got it. All right. I'm shifting gears now. We're going to get into the, into the nitty gritty of things, which is really getting into the generational wealth roadmap. And I'm gonna turn it back over to Hodge. When you define generational wealth, you came up with kind of three criteria for that, which is a great segue to this question, which is what are the fundamental building blocks for building generational wealth from your perspective? Start now. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's block number one for me is just, you know, I just run into too many people that say, I'm gonna do this and this never get to it. Um, and so a lot of times we come in and we're just people's quarterback, you know, that trust that you're supposed to be live out here in California. So you need everything to be in trust out here. Um, you know, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to get to the trust. And every, every quarter I'm like, Hey, have you engaged that attorney that you said you're going to engage? And, you know, so it's all, it's all about that. So just start now, whatever it is, whatever you can afford to get started on your retirement planning. Cause we all need to have monies, um, saved for retirement. That's part of this whole game. Um, then there's other things that may come up if you have a family, so on and so forth. So, you know, just start now. Um, there is no time. Again, I'm just going to harp on this, but there is no time better than the present. You know, this, this thing can be easy, but we try to make it complicated. That was a very simple answer. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm curious to get your, your, your compliments to that. I, I can only reverberate what Hodge has said. Uh, the, the amount of people that I've hunted down for two to three years just to start doing something, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, and they don't have anything really to speak of while they have lots of money that they're making. And so it's just, it's more about creating the discipline as soon as possible, right? Like even something on some basis sooner rather than later is, is the better approach than waiting until you, you know, got a hundred thousand dollar bonus or you closed a million dollar deal. Um, that's, it's not playing catch up isn't fun. Got it. Got it. Hodge, wh why did the, the rich keep getting richer? Why is that? Because <laughs> interest rates are low and they can play real life Monopoly. Um, sorry, I'm being a little. No, I mean, look, this is real. I think it's real. Yeah. Trying to understand what advantages are not available to the, to the, uh, you know, to the average person. Right. And what, what contributes, what are the factors that contribute to that dynamic? I mean, listen, I think a lot of it has to do with like interest rates, right? So when, when, when debt is cheap, 
it, leverage is great, right? And so, you know, clients are using that other side of that balance sheet, the liability side of the balance sheet to just gobble up assets, right? As far as hard assets, whether that be real estate or other tangible goods. Um, business valuations are going through the roof, the multiples for businesses because interest rates are low and it's cheap to borrow, valuations are up as it relates to businesses. Um, and then those that have been able to like pivot and, and bring that entrepreneurial spirit back in, in, in the midst of this pandemic, um, you know, have been able to really, you know, their business was at like this level, right? And if they've been able to figure out a way to, you know, navigate within this, this, uh, this pandemic situation, and then, you know, sort of the, the economy, you know, started moving again, um, they really have brought other business lines into their businesses that they didn't see before, whether that be you know, um, using of technology or what have you. So, yeah, I, it, it's been it's been beautiful to watch and, and be a part of. Um, my heart also, you know, um, breaks because there is the other side of this conversation where, you know, although the rich have gotten richer, the spread between wealth um, and and those that that don't have is is pretty bad. I live out here in, Cal, in Southern Cal in Los Angeles, and it's it breaks my heart seeing all these black folks as as homeless folks. So, yeah, that's a whole another conversation that we're not here for. But, um, you know, that that's what that's what it is. Is it's just the ability of of the stock market, all asset prices, multiples on businesses. Um, you know, uh, the use of technology to make things more efficient and be able to you know accelerate revenues. Um, all of this has played into the ability to 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 create wealth in a in a very fast, you know, in a very fast way on top of the wealth that has already that was already accumulated in prior years. Kennedy, thoughts. Um, Hodge went through the fundamentals of it all, but uh, I would just simplify it and say they didn't do it alone. Um, you know, they, they have a, a lot of resources and people that are supporting them and, and teams and people that they are going to for uh, suggestions and advice that they've worked with for many years, right? The, they started this process. It didn't, Rome wasn't built in a day, right? Elon Musk made a lot of money in 2020, but he was working on this for over a decade before he has seen his company grow to where it is now. Right. So it's, it's something where, um, you know, you just gotta, you get, once again, you gotta start early, um, and trust someone to, to help lead you along the way or, or do the work and research, right. You don't have to work with an advisor. I, I think it's the best way to leverage your time, but there are, uh, a lot of resources out there. You just gotta be disciplined. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm going to follow up with a, with a, a second question around that. Um, and then I'll, I'll come back to Hodge, which is you mentioned this idea of community, right? And they didn't do it alone. What elements of community can be replicated, even amongst the gravy community, that you think would um, contribute to closing that gap or that knowledge gap or, you know, however you want to define the missed opportunity, you know, does anything come to mind as far as just low hanging fruit outside of just having a financial advisor? Absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, the whole black owned businesses can be, can be spread along uh, to a bigger degree, right? If, if we are looking at not just, you know, shopping at a black owned restaurant or, or going to a small mom and pop shop, but also looking for, um, it, black advisors that are CPAs or, or someone who's like a, a mortgage lender or someone who's a real estate agent, uh, you know, if we're trying to replicate the black wall street in a sense and have um, resources in a lot of different areas, we can keep more money circulating within our community. And if it's used in a proper way, we can leverage that circulation to help continue to grow it. Uh, you know, I, one of the things that I, I say to my clients, put you in a better place. It's going to feel good today, but I'm taking your money to give it back to you later. So I feel like that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> oh, did we lose Brandon? Nope. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think that's that community aspect of making sure that where we're placing our dollars and who we're seeking our advice from, um, uh, can, can greatly, 
increase that generation. I love that. And I don't know, uh, Haj, if you had anything that you want to add to that question. No, it just let's 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 build this thing with intention. Yeah. Haj, what what's the biggest misconception that you see within our community around wealth building that you feel needs to be addressed? And I feel like some some of the the the, the points we touched on earlier may be a part of this. I wanted to kind of specify this conversation to this community. You know, what are people missing the boat on? You know, that's major. I don't have enough. And I, when I mean, when I say that, I, I think I relate it to a dollar amount, but um, I challenge people in that and say that you do have enough. Um, and the fact that you're even asking the question means you do, right? So to me, if I go back to my definition of what wealth is, it's not about the number, right? I've seen countless clients get to that number and then be like, oh, you know, I want, you know, a, a number plus X, right? And so it can't, it's not about the number. It's just not because I've just seen it ad nauseum about how the fact that they get to the number or the house that they wanted and now it's something else. So it's always, that's just human nature. It's human ego, whatever. So, so it's not about, it's not about the number. It's just about making these connections and building and continuing to build and starting now with intention. Um, and so <clears throat> I just think it's, it's really that that's this, this, the, the typical thought, which is like, I just don't have it right now, but you know, you got a hundred bucks that, a start with a start there i like it and by the way um to the audience if you have any questions go ahead and pop them in we're going to be really close to hitting our our q a we have a couple in here already um and but before we get to q a i want to hop into some of the a little bit more of the nitty-gritty um i want to start with you kidding around this which is around asset allocation right now I'm, I'm assuming a lot of folks on the call right now their interest have peaked because there's so much happening in the market right now and a lot of assumptions, a lot of reasons why people made certain investments are being tested, you know, right now. And it's, <laughs> and it's about coming back to those fundamentals. So that's the question, you know, what is your fundamental belief around asset allocation, you know, regardless of where we are in a market cycle and what shiny new object kind of comes into the yeah. equation? What's your general perspective on that to the extent that, you know, obviously, by the way, just a disclaimer, none of what we're talking about here is investment advice. Have to put this disclaimer out there. Uh, we're just having a conversation generally at a high level around allocation. Um, this is not, you know, legitimate investment advice. If you want that, engage these gentlemen. Um, but with that being said, you know, curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think uh, asset allocation is something that is going to be client specific. Um, and it has to do with a couple of factors. We have to know what their risk tolerance is, which is basically you know, how do you react to certain market swings? And if I put you in a highly risky asset and it moves, it goes down by 10%, are you going to call me and freak out, say I did something wrong? Um, in, in that case, then you don't have a tolerance for risk. Um, but you also may not be able to observe risk. You may not be in a financial situation to be able to take on that much risk. Uh, if you don't have enough cash on hand, or if you have a dependent, or you have an impending liability that you're going to have to cover, you may not be in a situation where you can take the risk and, and be illiquid at a time when um, the market might not be playing in your favor. So asset allocation is going to be client specific in their situation um, regarding their time horizon, their risk tolerance, and their liquidity needs. Um, but typically, if all of those things are green lights, we will then back into, well, how we keep you invested. And if it's all the way to retirement, we're not, we're not dialing down your, your asset allocation from um, equities into fixed income until you're within 10 years of retirement. Hodge, um, same question. And maybe, you know, if you have, you know, you've been in the game for a long time, 20, 25 years. Um, what do you see, generally speaking, is like the biggest allocation mistake when folks first engage you, in addition to like your general kind of philosophy around asset allocation to the extent that, you know, it may be a little different than, uh, than Kennedy's or, or if it's the same? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's the same, uh, very similar to what Kennedy was saying. I, I always think about asset allocation, like you just don't jump into a car and drive somewhere, right? You have a roadmap. Uh, now it's all technology-based in our cars, but um, you know we just have this roadmap, and that's what really asset allocation is: is, is just defining outcomes, like what are your needs, and then you know it kind of 
almost forces you into, you know, sort of what amount of risk you need to take in order to get to the right outcomes, right? And so, you know, if you're saving for a house and you're about, you're about to buy a house within the first three years, you shouldn't have any equities, right? Technically speaking, right? Because it's not enough of a e uh, economic cycle. So, yeah, there's just, there, there's, it's, it's really, it's really about that roadmap of what, what needs, what goals, what things do you want to achieve and what this pool of money is, is, is here to be used for. Um, and then that ultimately defines the allocation, right? Um, so it's like, I always say, you, 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 you just don't jump into your car and drive somewhere, you use that Google Maps, right? So, so I think that's really it. And then as Kennedy alluded to, it's like sort of this bu bucketing of monies, right? You have short-term, medium-term, long-term goals, so on and so forth, and, and you can define certain risks and certain allocations based on those, on those goals. Um, and so, you know, for, for, for us, that, that's our focus is really talking about what everyone comes and says, I just want to make money, right? And then it turns into so much more. Um, yeah. It's really about what is this money for? Love that. Um, I have a follow-up question um, that I'm going to ask one more question before uh, opening it up to uh, the audience questions, but we, our last conversation was a crypto crash course and it was helping people understand, just wrap their mind around it. And I know we talked about this earlier, you gentlemen are not in a position to advise any client on investments in cryptocurrencies. These are not regulated. You, <laughs> you are a law abiding gentleman. But I think the bigger question is, you know, you kind of hear this conversation around the speed of innovation growing exponentially. And so a lot of what was um, true before fundamental changes, you know, are happening, you know, across the board that are changing those things, right? So me having spent a little bit of time in investment banking, read Random Walk Down Wall Street in these books around just low fee index fund, you know, kind of keep it real simple. You'll win over time, right? You know, a lot of this conversation around Kathy Wood and ARK Innovation versus Warren Buffett. And now you're seeing, that, you know, <laughs> Kathy Wood, this is basically for those, you know, kind of unfamiliar. It's uh, a portfolio manager who basically throws pretty much any innovative type of stock in the equation. So, you know, she's big on Tesla. She's big on, you know, anything that's innovation focused. And she's had an incredible track record up until very recently when we saw the big uh, tech hit. My point is Warren Buffett is very slow and steady wins the race, focused on value investing, focused on profitability. Um, and over time, it seems like he continues to prove that out. But I guess my question is, how do you think or how should clients or the audience think about paying attention to these big fundamental shifts like Web3, you know, which people are basically saying is the new version of the Internet and will be that impactful. And obviously, blockchain and crypto are parts of that with kind of this fundamental sound strategy that's been backed up by years and years and years of uh, historical evidence. I'm just kind of curious, how do we reconcile those things from your perspective? Uh, I'll turn it over to you, Kennedy, first, and then maybe Hodge, if you want to jump in. Um, you know, looking at cryptocurrency as a whole, uh, it's, it has a presence, right? It's, it's definitely big. There's a lot of people who are curious about it. Um, and one way that I could comment on it is, is basically from a grand picture of it, we don't know how it's going to get used still. There's a lot of speculation on where it's, where it's proper fit is. Um, and in some instances or some examples, you could say it's a solution to a problem that we don't have yet or that we don't know exists. So a lot of people are trying to put it into, a, into place uh, and figure out how it's going to advance society. Um, but we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know where, where that's going to go. Uh, we don't know how people are going to value it. And it's not associated to any physical asset. So there's no, there's no way to, to evaluate it. Um, it's purely speculation. So when we're talking to clients about it, and as you mentioned before, we can't like comment or we can't advise whether or not they purchase it or not. Uh, we just want our clients to know that it's a speculative asset and you, you could lose all of your money um, at any point in time. So they should understand that that's part of the risks when they are taking advantage of it. I like it. Um, and Haj, I'm gonna put a little spin on the question and then send, send the same one to you. You know, Kennedy kind of mentioned that's very speculative. Um, but a lot of the reason that it kind of it really grew was because the founder of Bitcoin established it after we saw 
a lot of you know regular retail folks get stuck with the bag in the last uh, situation where banks were bailed out, et cetera, et cetera. And then you hear about kind of the debt in the U.S. and how things are getting crazy, um, basically detaching this idea of value from governments and kind of these central organizations and really kind of focusing on it's all based on belief anyway. How do we have a belief system that is not necessarily tethered to um, institutions that haven't acted in the best you know, interest of the masses? Um, so with that being said, going back high level to it, you know, I'm just kind of curious to get your perspective on these fundamental changes we're seeing at a, at a high level. How do you reconcile that to the to the uh, to the basics? I mean, for me, I, you know, I I started paying attention to it because it just got so big. Right. So, you know, it was two trillion and then you start adding in the leverage. You know, who knows, five, six, seven trillion dollars as far as an asset class. So you just have to pay attention to it if you're, you know, uh, within the financial space. So that's kind of how I started looking at it. And then I started going back to the root cause and why this thing was created. And essentially, if you think about it, it really was Web 3.0 and, and this whole idea around cryptocurrency is really to create you know, a frictionless payment system via the internet because, you know, how many credit cards have you had to get renewed because someone stole your credit card number and, you know, because you bought something online, they stole it and now they're off at big five sporting goods buying up a bunch of stuff, right? So, so you know, I think if you think about what the root idea around why they've launched this whole Bitcoin idea and, and cryptocurrency as a whole, it really was about creating frictionless payments on the internet because, you know, ABA numbers are able to be hacked and all these other things. So I like it from that perspective and there's investment themes and ideas around that, but then it's turned into so much more now that it's so big right now, it's supposed to be the store of wealth and now it's supposed to be an inflation protection. We're learning that that doesn't necessarily happen right when all asset classes go down, like we're dealing with today, um, everything goes down. So, you know, that, that idea is out the out, out the gate right now, so we'll see how this all all plays out. But it goes back to Kennedy again. It, it's it's a you know what is it, Apple? I think two and something trillion dollars now. So it's cryptocurrency is big, but it's not you know if you think about how big just one company Apple is, it's not that big. So you you should pay attention to it, but it's also just risk, right? And so you know, like anything else if you want to take on that risk and it's it, it aligns with your long-term goals and you can have the ability to 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 deal with the volatility then pay attention to it and invest in it i mean I'm not supposed to give investment advice but that's that's kind of how i look at it just don't overlever yourself and don't add too much to one one place all right there you have it coming from the the, the sage 25 year veteran game uh, <laughs> how, how we should be thinking about crypto I uh, appreciate that. All right. So we're going to turn it over to the, the, the questions coming from the audience in the last 10 or 12 minutes. Audience, feel free to pop more questions in. We're going to try to get through them all if we can, if we have time. The first one's coming from my good homie, Azella Perryman. Her question is, and I'll point this to you, Kennedy, how many clients does a good financial advisor take on? How many is too many uh, when I'm shopping for someone? Yeah. Um... I think a lot of advisors will tell you there's no such thing as too many clients, uh, but that, that's 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 not that's not necessarily the fact of the matter. I think at some point, um, a client, an advisor is going to have to scale back and, and realize when they've filled their arc. Not to, not to copy Kathy Wood, but you want to fill a good boat of, of quality clients, and typically. Um, you know, I'm trying to bring on anywhere between uh, 12 to 24, you know, quality clients a year. Um, you know, you, you might have to sift through some people who aren't really committed or, or trying to, to stick with you in the long term. Um, but, you know, 12 to 24 quality clients that are there for you uh, for life is, is kind of the goal every year. How do you think? Uh, yeah, there's no magic number in my opinion. Um, it really comes down to, uh, you know, uh, we're building a team here, right? So we have, I don't even know now, eight people on our team, I think, six, seven, eight, seven or eight, if you can include the intern. So, you know, we're building a team for generations to come and, and, you know, we're building a team so that if I hit economies of scale and my partners hit economies of scale, we have someone else that can come up and live through the book and, and, and build their own business through it. Um, so, you know, 
I, I don't think there's a magic number. I think it's really whether or not uh, that advisor that you're working with shows up and tells you they're going to do something and do it, right? For me, it's really about a team approach. I can't do everything. So that's why we built the team. Yeah. So right. I, I wouldn't say there's a magic number. Kennedy, just a quick follow-up. What, what are the reasons that people leave advisors that, that you know, you've, in, you've kind of encountered? Like, why do people step away? Um, I, I think it's more about the initial interaction when you when you start working with a client uh I, I front load a lot of value i take people through an a to z planning process and then in at, at the point where people are opening accounts signing documents uh for whatever reason they're hard to reach so we, we we're, we're hunting down people a lot uh chasing cats and then finally getting stuff uh, completed over time um and it's just the nature of the business so you know our best clients are committed to the process. They respond when we're trying to reach out to them because they realize that a lot of these issues are, are require a timely response. Um, and <laughs> I see Leslie chiming in there. Um, but we, uh, it, it's it, our best clients are, are committed to the process. And we, you know, as any relationship, someone who's committed to you, you're committed to them. And it's a give you know, quid pro quo kind of thing. And, and I, it doesn't matter how much money they have with me, if they are responsive and excited to talk to me, I'm excited to talk to them. Love it. All right. Next question. Moving on. This question is from QD. I think we touched on this a little bit, but I'll, I'll put it out there. What can the common individual do to get ahead? If it can, if it can be boiled down, what do you consider getting ahead? And I know um, what we've heard thus far is start now, you know, and nobody can take that away from you. Time is, everyone is, uh, is, is, you know, on the same time, right, by the time. The second piece I heard is don't feel like you need to build up a certain number of assets before you get started as well. I'll throw in my own little plug for gravy. You know, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to plug into the gravy community and, and read the newsletters and kind of get involved. We're all about unpacking, you know, generational wealth. A lot of folks are reinventing the wheel. Um, that's unnecessary. So, you know, I would say just surround yourself with folks who are, uh, willing to one, you know, help share, be honest, be transparent, uh, and move in the same direction as you. But any other ingredients in terms of getting ahead that you would throw out there that we haven't covered already? Either one of you? Um, being aware. So a lot of people just kind of go through their day, go through their month, go through their year, and don't really know what's happening with their finances. I think if you are, if you have a budget, you know, look at your budget. How, where's your money going? Um, that is leagues beyond the average individual. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I would just say like, you know, be careful of what you mean by getting ahead. Right. Because that's the Jones's mentality. Um, time and time again, I just see people saying, you know, I need to have this or that and the other thing to get ahead and, you know, just be present with what you have and, and make the best of what it is that you have. Because as soon as you have a little bit more, your perspective is going to change and then so on and so forth. And so, you know, I think you just have to really dig deep and in, 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 in how do you define what getting ahead is, right? Um, and, and be true to that and, and work towards it and then, you know, reassess. Yeah, I like that answer. Getting ahead is, is doing better than where you were yesterday, not, not where someone else was. I like that. Now, um, someone like me, you know, I have a pretty complex situation. You know, on one hand, I'm, I'm, I'm getting paid in RSUs and there's stock tax questions having to, you know, do with that. Then on the other hand, I might be looking at maybe margin loans, right, against those shares. And then on the other hand, I'm putting together a trust and a state. You hear about family offices. You hear about these high net worth shops. Um, even you gentlemen, right, like you're, you're taking on folks because you care about the community. But the reality is, there's a level of sophistication that comes as your increase, uh, as your asset, you know, level increases. What, you know, what do you feel is the difference between what you can offer and like what a family office may do? Like what's for people to understand kind of the, the levels to the game, how would you articulate what that additional layer of value that someone would get in a family office versus, you know, kind of having someone like you at their side, either one of you can, can kind of chime in. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, go ahead, Kay. Yeah, I, I think it's once again, it's the relationships. Um, if, you know, we have estate planning attorneys, we have lenders, we have 
CPAs, uh, we have actuaries, we've got business planning specialists, um, and a network within our firm that we can leverage if there's something even uh, extremely niche that we can't comment on our own. Um, and, and people don't know that those resources exist sight unseen. You can't, you don't know where their value is that we can provide, but until you run into that problem and we solve it and then you go, Oh, that's, that's why I was working with these people. Um, but, uh, you know, it's all trust, right? It takes trust to get to start down that road and, and, and then experience those things. Got it. And I know, you know, Hodge, you mentioned one of your kind of three pillars for defining generational wealth. One of them was like network or access, I guess. How does that, how does that translate between, you know, someone like yourself? Is it, is it, do you get all of that? Are there levels to the, to the game? How do you, how do you kind of think about the access piece and increasing levels of access? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, there are there are levels to the game because the firm puts those levels, so that's all another conversation. But um, but yeah, I mean, I think for 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 the way that I look at it, and where I find the value above and beyond what I've already talked about is also just sort of being a quarterback to the firm, and and then also being a quarterback to what we are building, which is a really powerful network for other people uh, to be able to build off of. I'm I'm about to leave here and go to a dinner, and I got 20 people sitting around a table um, tonight. And it, and, it, and it just it's so wonderful to be able to put people together and watch them tell each other's stories and carry each other's stories. And then, you know, it's that network effect. Right. And so, you know, that's what this whole thing is, 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 is trying to be able to be that quarterback, not only from the firm and the, the resources that the firm has. Right. Um, because really what I talked about on the wealth side of things, it's the resources aspect, not the dollar aspect. So it's those resources that the firm has, um, as well as just the, our own network here um, that we've, we're building out here uh, so that when, you know, I can refer outside to the, to the business manager or the CPA or the blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I look at it is, is just, you know, continuously being our client's quarterback on the things that they need to achieve and, and, and being their accountability partner throughout all of it. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. I think we got time for one more question. Um, this is coming from Eileen. Um, shout out to Eileen. Hi, Gravy fam. I'm 23 years old and there's so many trading investment platforms and investment vehicles out there. I don't like being spread across all these different platforms, Robinhood, SoFi, et cetera, and invest in too many different assets, crypto, junk bonds, growth stocks. Any recommendations on when it's too soon or too late to meet with investors? I think we covered that largely, but I guess that's actually a good question, which is in a world where you have all these kind of verticals and you have people like going deep on one specific aspect, you kind of have this hodgepodge of apps that you may be using. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. How do you solve for that with your clients? Is that something that you think about? Do you offer kind of a one screen solution for everyone's needs or like how, how should people think about reconciling that with what you, what you bring to the table? Well, I, I think it's sometimes it's difficult because when we're trying to make recommendations from an investment standpoint and reallocate the big picture so that it's in line with their goals, uh, sometimes we have to play tug of war with our clients and their, you know, passion project in some of their accounts. Like, well, I don't want to liquidate this because, you know, I, 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 I made these trades and I'm kind of, you know, fond of this company and that company. And, and I'm like, well, you know, you, you kind of, you can't have your cake and eat it too, but I, I can leave you a little bit of money. What, how much do you want to manage in yourself? But the rest of this, we need to put towards a planning scenario. And um, so I, I try to consolidate that, clean it up and make it a little bit more organized so that there is a, a basically I, I, I describe it as having um, a, a job description for every dollar in your portfolio. Interesting. All right, so we're, we're coming close on time. I want to give both you gentlemen, Hodge, I know you got a dinner to run to. Last words, parting words for the audience. Let's just keep building. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. all I have to say. Stay yeah. committed. Stay committed to the goal. Stay um, committed. Love it. Well, look, Gravy's committed to bringing, bringing these insights to the community. I want to thank you both, uh, Jonathan Hodge and Jonathan Kennedy. If, um, if you all want to be connected with them, 
uh, you can reach out to me or you can, you know, link up with them on LinkedIn. You know, I can vouch for both of these gentlemen. Uh, thank you for taking the time to kind of educate and inform the community. For those of you who are new to Gravy, go to gravyglobal.com. Our website is under construction, but it's a landing page. So you make sure you're plugged into the newsletter, future conversations and investment opportunities. So with that, we're going to close this out. I want to say thank you again for the audience for showing up. Thank you again, uh, Hodge and Kennedy for making the time and we will connect soon. Thank and you. I just want to say really quick, thank you, Brandon, because like this is what it takes, right? This is what it takes. So thanks for building the community and continuing to to move forward because it's we don't we don't have enough of it. So it's a blessing that you're doing and what you're doing. So keep going. Hey man, this is why I do Great. it. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Absolutely. All right. With that said, uh, we'll let everyone go. Thank you for joining. Recording hopefully will go out soon. Um, stay tuned. Take care. Thanks everybody. Bye. Take care.